So we are rolling right along through the book of Ephesians, the last of our uh, four prison letters of Paul that we have spent the entire year in so far, and it's just been a privilege to see an honest testimony of a man who's unjustly in prison and yet has so much good fruit in his life, so much hope, so much joy, so much gratitude. And he has no reason to fake it. He's stuck in prison and he's just like, you know, he's not getting money from these people. He's just, he's just stuck and he's, gonna, he's awaiting a trial before an unjust Caesar. And yet what comes out of him when he's getting squeezed by life is joy and hope and peace and gratitude and praise. And it's honestly just so stinking attractive. It's like, man, our last year in this world has been very hard for a lot of people. But to be honest, most have gone through nothing compared to what he's going through. And the fruit of his life is so powerful. It's like, I, I, I want to I know Jesus in that way so that I can, I, because it's the offers for all of us, can be that kind of a powerful person. We can be that kind of a powerful church, a powerful people that thrives no matter the circumstances because that's the message of the gospel. And he's living it out. He does not have special access to God. No one does. That's the whole point of Jesus. Jesus did it so all have equal access to God through Christ. Everyone. So what we see in Paul's life that's so amazing that power is available to you and me. So that's why we want to posture our hearts as learners here in these writings that he's given us. And so we're in chapter 4 now, kind of the, the second half of the book. And let's just jump right in and get these 12, 13 verses that we're looking at today. He says, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your old manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with your neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander 
be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So much (laughs) as normal. So much power. This guy's just a fountain flowing by the Holy Spirit. And that's awesome. This is a life transformed. This is a life redeemed. This is is flowing out of him. Out of this is the new way to live in Christ. And it's just flowing out all this incredible wisdom and power because he knows God. He's encountered God. And wow, isn't he a different person now? And I just want to dial down here on this one phrase that he starts off with. As he says, no, no longer walk as you used to walk as a Gentile. He's talking, remember, who, who is he talking to here? As we've seen in the passages leading up to this, he is talking to essentially anyone who'll listen. This letter is written as an introduction to Christianity, to the general area of Ephesus, which is a very cosmopolitan area. It's a very mixed area. So he is writing to both Jews and Gentiles. And we know that specifically because in chapter 2, he said that Jesus went to the cross so that both groups, and he names them Jews and Gentiles, who have had a history of religious and racial animosity as far back as they can remember to the point of bloody war. And he says the good news in Jesus is that he went to the cross to break down those ancient walls of hostility in order to create one new humanity out of the two groups that hate each other. So he, he, this is not some just fluffy little, you know, philosophical ideas that have no rubber hitting the road. Wow, this is going to be challenging. This is either the greatest news ever that's going to transform us or, or, or this is just lies. Because what he's saying is absolutely astounding. Two groups that have absolutely hated each other and gone to war The God of the universe came in human flesh, went to the cross to break the power of that malice for one another. And that's that's part of why you see when he gets into this list of this old way of life, a lot of it is surrounding anger, malice. What does he say? He says, get rid of anger, bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, malice. When groups hate each other, Those are sad but good descriptors of how they think and talk about one another. So there's a lot of quote-unquote sins that he could probably list, but I think he lists those because of the context of who he's writing to. When two groups hate each other, this is a a good list (laughs) to bring up to say, hey, guess what? In the power of Christ, this sin does not have to win. This old way of life and how you see this group that is supposed to now become, you're, you are members of them, as he just said in this passage. You are in Christ. God's design is you would become one family of God, one new humanity in Christ. So he says, and he starts with this phrase of no longer walk in that old way as the Gentiles do, the futility of their minds. That's where I want to drill down today, this phrase, the futility of their minds. It's a very important phrase. 
Sin begins in our mindset. Weakness begins in our mindset. Bad fruit in our life towards other people begins in our mindset. This phrase, the futility of their minds, can also be translated very appropriately, a useless way of thinking. And that's a healthy challenge from me when I read God's word, is that do I unintentionally or intentionally still walk in useless ways of thinking? Useless ways of thinking, meaning I've got mindsets, things that I'm walking as if it were true, but it's useless. It's not helping me walk closer to Christ. It's not helping me live out my new identity in Christ. It's not helping my life produce incredible, powerful fruit. Rather, it's got me stuck in these old bad fruit that I don't have to live in anymore. And that's Paul's whole point is this useless way of thinking has got you stuck producing fruit that you don't have to have anymore. It's your old way of life. So what is the useless way of thinking? He says it right there in 419. They have become callous, and here's the phrase, given themselves up to sensuality. Given themselves up. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So this useless way of thinking that he's going to come on to say, you're not immune to this if you're a Christian. (laughs) In fact, this is the whole point of the passage. We'll get to show it in a moment. But his whole point is the useless way of thinking is that they have simply given in to sin. Given in. Whatever impulsive desire that comes up, whatever temptation, whatever enticement, they have, what does it say? Given themselves up to it. They've given in. They stopped the fight. They said, all right, fine. I'll just go down this road. And the very problem of it is now where it gets personal for all of us, but see it as grace, invitation into the abundant life of Jesus. The problem is Paul knows that some of these Christians that he's writing to in this area, so put ourselves in this, this is where we get to check what does God want to do today, they're still walking in that useless mindset that when sin tempts or sin entices, they give up. They give in. They expect defeat. I've been down this road before. It was hard. Going to go there again. He goes on to list a number of the different ways that people live out this useless way of thinking and just give in to sin, and he names them here. We've already seen a few. Falsehood, lying, you know, being angry, stealing, corrupting talk, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. So he names some things that I do think are, I mean, they're general in the sense that I'm sure we could all identify with at least one of those maybe on a rough day. I mean, on a rough day, you know. We all have those once a year. He couldn't name many more, but I think his context of the groups that he has in mind is is, is honing in on what he wants to point out. But, so my point is he could name a lot more. The whole point is, from the beginning of this passage, is you don't have to walk in this useless, painful, destructive mindset anymore. His whole point is sin doesn't have to win. And he's trying to say, hey, Christians, do you believe that? That sin does not have to win. 
Do you actually believe that? Because if you do, it'll change your life. Don't give in and let sin win. That's what he wants to say. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 21, 20. He says, that's not the way you learned Christ. This useless way of thinking where you just give up and give in. You give yourselves up, he says. That's not the way you learn Christ, verse 20. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, and the truth is in Jesus, that you can now put off your old self, which belongs to your former way of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So that's kind of this wrestle. It's still in there. Sin can still seem attractive and enticing, though it's a useless way of thinking. And he says, and you can be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's what you were supposed to have learned in Christ, he's saying. The power of God in you says now you can be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, which, check this out, is, has been, past tense, created. It's done. You have a new nature. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this isn't talking about the positional holiness and righteousness that you have before God because of Christ. This is talking about the new nature that's in you, that you, as you trust in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in you and you are born again, a new nature is created in you that is the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness that loves purity that loves holiness, that loves righteousness, that loves to follow God, that loves God, and that loves to put God first above everything else because it's the abundant life and good fruits happens and God's honored. That nature's in you. It's real. It's God's nature. I mean, this, is, this isn't, like I said, this is either true or this is a bunch of lies. This is an intense teaching from Paul. That sin does not have to win. But victory starts in the mind. What you believe is possible and what you expect from God in this life has a lot to do with what you will experience from God in this life. Paul's saying if you're stuck in some old patterns of useless thinking, in other words, if you expect to keep on sinning, guess what's going to happen? That sin has power over you. You've given up. You've given in. If you expect to walk in victory over sin, Paul is saying, by God's grace and power, you will walk in victory over sin in increasing measure. You already have the nature and character of God inside you. This is not you striving, getting it right, earning it, working hard enough. I mean, there's a fight. There's a fight for sure, this, and that's why he's writing this passage. What are you going to fight for in, in here? You're going to keep putting on that old self that just says, I can't win against sin, so oh well, good thing I got heaven when I die. Or are you going to put on the new self that says sin will not be my master because <laughs> I got the Holy Spirit and a new nature in me. This passage is hugely about our mindset of expectation. As a follower of Christ, born again, filled with the power of the Spirit, we can and should have 
a mindset that expects different than just giving in to sin. We should and can expect to win over sin. So as he goes into more of this, chapter 4, verse 20 to 24, what is his, he's getting, digging down deep into what did Jesus do on the cross? Christ has purchased for us on the cross, and now through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, an absolutely new nature. So it's like, it's not arrogance to say, I'm going to win over sin. It's a faith-filled act of worship that honors Jesus as Lord over everything in our life now and into eternity. So it says, I actually believe that Jesus in my life, so if I declare I'm going to win over sin, that's not an arrogant statement. It's a Jesus-honoring statement that says Jesus is more powerful than my sin. So it worships him, it honors him, it says Jesus actually, not me, Jesus actually is big enough, strong enough, good enough, powerful enough to overcome any struggle I have. That honors Jesus, does it not? I mean, whatever we, whatever we kind of bow before and say, you're powerful, that exalts and worships that source. This is incredible news. We don't have to declare as Christians that I just have to give in to sin. Sin's going to win. I have this sin or that sin. I've struggled with it for a long time. So it's just, you know, going to be my struggle forever. And I have heaven to look forward to and grace that covers me. Now, that's partial truth. You absolutely do. Any sin that we have is covered by the grace of Jesus, and he will cover us all into eternity. He will forgive us. He washes away all sin. That's very true. That is the hope of the gospel. But this passage is talking about your struggle for powerful purity right now. And is there any hope for you? And Paul says, yes. Why? Because Jesus is on your side. And it's what he was doing. On, it's part of what he was doing on the cross when he broke the power of sin so that he could give you a new nature. That's, that's the kind of the, the place for me to ponder and meditate. Is like, wow. That is such an incredible cr- truth that Jesus died on the cross so that now in this life, your character, my character could become increasingly transformed to become like his and to accept anything less than that as my expectation is to minimize the work of Jesus on the cross. It's not humility. It's minimizing the exaltation of Jesus' work on the cross. Don't make friends with sin. Don't act humble by saying, yeah, I just, I, I just, I'm just going to struggle with this forever. That's not humility. It's dishonoring the power of Jesus in your life. And I'm not saying there's not struggle. There is. That's why Paul's writing this passage. He's writing this passage because of the struggle. It's real. It's a process. It's a journey. My wife prayed it over us as a declaration today, which is very cool and exciting because she didn't know that this passage was what was coming. And so that declaration of 2 Corinthians 3 
which is we are being transformed by beholding Christ from one degree of glory to another into the same image. That means your character in this life, as you encounter Jesus, your character has a destiny and a will of God to just get transformed to be more like Jesus. And there's no place in the Bible where it says it has to stop. And that's where we've got to fight against those lies of the enemy. Those en- the, the enemy whispers, you know, he whispers that junk in our ear that says, you know that sin you've been struggling with for a while? Claim it as your identity. For the rest of this life, that's you. Where does it say that in the Bible? I'm sorry, that dishonors the power of Jesus. To name something and say, Jesus cannot overcome this. And, and again, this, does this, is this confidence or is this arrogance? No, this is trying to live out the promises of Scripture that say, put your faith in this direction, and we're going to struggle in it. There's days when it's going to feel really hard, but these are the promises of Scripture. We just sang this song, yes and amen. All your promises are yes and amen. This is a promise. You don't have to live in the old self, and a huge portion of it is in our mind that says, no, I do. I'm going to put it on again, and I'm going to give in and let sin win. And Paul's saying, you don't have to. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. He's in you. You have a new nature. His spirit's with you. And so that's where I see it as not a fake declaration, not an arrogant declaration, not a declaration that we've got it all together. It's a Christ-honoring, faith-filled declaration. It says we might not be there yet, but I don't want to sell Jesus short. And glorify sin by saying, yep, he's so powerful. The only one I want to say and be in awe of who the power, the only person or thing that I want to be and bow my knees before in awe of their power, this in this life or in eternity, is not sin or the devil or me. It's Jesus. So I don't even want to, you know what I'm saying? It's part of it, it's like, oh, it's my sin. Here's my struggle. And that's a weird way of exalting yourself, really. You're that much powerful, more powerful than Jesus. Your sin's that much more powerful than Jesus. No, no, no. He wasn't, he wasn't kidding when he went to the cross. And it says in Colossians 1 that he disarmed all the powers and principalities of darkness. All of them. And now he's saying, will you partner with me, he's saying. Will you partner with me to put on your new self that's already in here, and when you choose to partner with me, comes out here. Man. (laughs) Praise God. Ephesians 4.24, this is the New Living Translation. Put on the new self. Created, listen to this, this is you. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is, you, this is your identity. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And again, that's not the positional Jesus earned it for us. He did that, and there's plenty of those places in the Bible too. This is talking about your actual character and nature. Created after the image of God, the likeness, the character of God. It's already in us. In true righteousness and holiness. 
And it's, it's like, that mindset is like too good to be true. It, it feels that way. But, but look, look at the very next verse. Paul's conclusion, Paul's conclusion of everything he's talking about regarding putting off this useless thinking that just causes us to give in to sin and give up. His conclusion of the whole thing is this phrase. Therefore, this is 5.1. By the way, the translators did an awful job of choosing where to do a chapter break because they missed the whole conclusion. (laughs) Here's the conclusion. Therefore, in light of all this, be imitators of God (laughs) as beloved children. As followers of Christ, you're much more than a follower. You're not a servant. You're a son. You're a daughter. You have the nature of God. You're in the family of God. You're welcomed, adopted as beloved children of God that have the same spirit of Jesus that cries out, Abba, Father. That's Romans 5. And now what? Now what? Therefore, what's in us the power to do to imitate God? In what? Everything that's been talking about. Therefore, meaning this is the conclusion. You can put on the new self. This isn't pie in the sky thinking. This isn't just a nice, you know, belief that uh, it's way out there and abstract and, you know, it's just part of your religious blah, blah, blah. Paul's convinced you can actually live this out. You you can actually live this out. You can put off the old self and the useless way of thinking. You can put on the new self. You can live into the reality that you're already new. You already have a new nature that loves righteousness and holiness. And you can, through that and the power of the Spirit, actually become more and more imitating of God. (laughs) Come on. Like, if that wasn't in the Bible, that, that phrase would sound like a heresy to me. Be imitators of God. What? No, <laughs> I, I can't. The promises are that good. They're that real. And I get really passionate about this because I, I really think the devil works overtime. The devil who is a liar... It's all he does is deceive and lie. He works overtime to deceive Christians, Christians, to believe in their mind that all they can do against sin is eventually give in. And, and that's where Jesus is sitting saying, no way. I have so much better for you. So when we hear those little whispers that say, you're not going to overcome this. This is always going to be your struggle. In fact, claim it as your identity. Here's my sin. I am blank. That secret struggle that you, you know, thought you could never get out of. You know, what does he whisper? Oh, you're going to give in again. I got you. You're easy. Easy work. Light work. I know that's in the heads. It's It's all of us. We've all heard that. Those are lies from the pit of hell. Not one of those phrases comes from the Bible, yet Christians speak it as if it's like their theological foundation that honors God. It doesn't. It honors the devil and the power of sin. It just honors what Jesus did on the cross. So I'm repeating myself, which is a good time to stop. Let's pray.
Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that there is a mighty invitation from the living God right now. Help us believe these promises. Help us believe that in you we have the power by the Holy Spirit to put off the old self and all of its corrupted desires. We have the power in Christ to put off that old self and everything evil that comes with it. And in you we have the power by your grace, by your spirit with us, and by the new nature in us to put on a new self that is being transformed as we get to know you and love you and we encounter you in all your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your kindness, your power, your your ferocity, (laughs) your provision, and how personal you are, how powerful you are, All of those things will and are transforming us. Thank you that we do not have to declare sin as our master. Thank you that there is not one particular sin that we have to bow to as our master that has us chained forever. No, no. No, no. Help us trust in you, God. Renew our minds today. Renew our minds. We ask for your grace to renew our minds that sin does not have to win. And we can put on that new self and be transformed and walk increasingly in your victory. Your victory. You want to give it to us. We're going to pause there, church, and we'll come back next week, actually, into this next chapter where Paul addresses some of the specifics of how to walk into this, how to fight this battle, how to live out this mindset. But for today, let's just stop right here. And in a quiet moment between you and the Lord, let's pray the prayer, God, renew my mind so that I never again believe the lie that sin has to win. Give me faith, Lord, to believe that. And if that's all that happens today, that is a monumental victory. To believe that we can walk in increasingly, increasing victory over sin. So just between you and the Lord. And if you want to confess specific sin that, that, that has been a struggle, fight it right now. Declare to Jesus, help my unbelief. It maybe needs to be your prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. Hey, that was good enough to get someone a miracle. So... encourage you just to be very authentic with the Lord. Share with him, confess with him those specific things that you didn't think you could ever overcome and just say, God, I, maybe, I, maybe I barely believe it. Help my unbelief. Help me grow in believing that no sin has to win. Let's just take a quiet minute with God. Dance a new dance like David